Welcome back to Love is the Author. Really special episode today that we're both kind of giddy about. This is, uh, yep. I'm here joined by Mike Coulter, C-O-U-L-T-E-R. Mike Coulter hails from the Baltimore region originally. Is that a, yeah, yeah. Is that a Maryland. fact? Maryland. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, we're going to talk about how we met and then we're just going to go. And Mike, um, he has a big white beard. He has really beautiful white-ish blonde hair. My friend, little kid the other day said, oh, you're the Santa Claus guy. <laughs> yeah. And I said, I am. Yeah. 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 You look sort of like a flaming lips uh, Santa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, pretty strict. Mike has been featured. If you're a mystical, cynical listener or somebody who followed that show, he was mentioned on that show. And I'd done a uh, Instagram live with him sort of more recently. And we discussed uh, a gift that he gave me, which was this box. So you may recall him from that. But a lot of you may not know him, and the circumstances that brought us together were incredibly synchronistic, and we're both sort of joined uh, from multiple sources throughout our lives, That mm-hmm. uh, all of which were unbeknownst to us until we investigated it further. And the the circumstances also that brought you and I together were, mm-hmm. were uh, just extraordinary, um, and we've we moved very early on through, um, I guess, a lot of uh, uh, things that normally people don't make it through. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like, just if ego was strong enough, I think that this friendship would not be possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and we, it was really accelerated. Yeah, I think because we had a sense that we had this connection already. Yeah, plus the the, the nature of how it which I guess we'll go into, but, um, the, the, the environment that it happened. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So right. Champion that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. So where should we begin? I, should we begin at the, I guess I'll, I'll just tell a brief bit of how a song is somewhat responsible for us yeah. doing this investigation. That song is by the flaming lips and the song is, do you realize, which is one of the more popular songs. And it's a song that uh, beautifully explains life in a very bittersweet way. Do you have a short? <laughs> do you have a short way of describing how, like well, that song? I, I just think I, I think he would say Wayne, the singer, would say it. It's just about the fact that you know it can end at any moment. So make the most of it. Right. Try to love and be connected as much as you can with people because it could. Everybody's going to die. Right. Right. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Happy stuff. So it is happy, though. It, it I mean, is. Because, you know, that's the thing. It's like the mere mention of, of, as we just realized, of death, sort of everybody's alarm bells go off. And yeah. Like, oh, you're being dour. You're being, you know, dark or whatever it is. But it's like it, it's no less natural than dinner. Right. You know? <laughs> um, and so to frame like well because it exists and mm. it's coming to all of us you know like all we have is this moment you yeah. know and try to make the most of it this is so great too because i just wrote this I, I did a post today on instagram about death and all these were the sentiments and that it actually is like holding hands with death daily um makes everything 
taste more beautiful, makes uh, the emphasis on the moment like a sort of yeah. peaceful urgency, you yeah. know, like um, it's just changed my life to acknowledge it, you know. That yeah, I mean, coming. and like anything endless or limitless has very little value. Right. There's right. No, you know, <laughs> anything that there's 8 billion of can't be that precious, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so this song, when I was married in 2006, uh, we had, at the moment of our kiss, after the vows were exchanged, we had this song play. Um, and it starts out with kind of bells, and it's a real perfect song for a wedding. You know, mm. dong, dong, you know, and and uh, and then the lyrics go, and it's touching into something like what we were just talking about, you know, this, uh, this will come to an end. And so let's start out by acknowledging that. And we even had on our wedding ring on the inside of it, it said, uh, protect today. Mm. And I feel like that is a way of protecting mm-hmm. today is acknowledging death, you know, yeah. um, not thinking that you have time. So at the moment where that song went off, um, someone who we shared a relationship with and at the time, did you know Vic in 2006? No. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he was sort of my mentor around that time. And and he heard this song and uh, it really hit him. You know, he, he while everybody's kind of acknowledging us walking away, I think he was really paying attention to the lyrics of the song, which is so Vic. Mm-hmm. Um, and he really became more of my spiritual teacher, teaching me a lot the tenets of Tibetan Buddhism and he was he was my Eskimo, as they mm-hmm. say in in the twelve step groups. He's the person that ushered me into uh, those traditions, and he made that song his. I guess it's called a ring back tone. Where yeah, is but that his right? phones would do that back then. Instead of right. hearing like whatever that noise is that we hear when we call somebody, <laughs> you would hear a song instead. Right. Some phones had that. Yeah. Yeah. And he did that back then. He did it back then. Uh, within a year. Or so that had been when I guess maybe when he found out that you could do that, mm-hmm. he made that song his song, and and so every time people would call him, and people had a, a they had a lot of reason to call <laughs> yeah, him. Yeah, a know? lot of people called him. Yeah, a lot of people called him. So they would always associate, would now associate that song with him mm-hmm. uh, when he had heard it at my wedding, and so that sort of started this thing. And then you know, and then I'd call him and I'd hear it, and it make me think about that day, and. Uh, you know, years passed, and that was kind of the tone. Now, taking it up to in 2015 when he passed away, uh, and I had been one of these people who he and I hadn't connected in a while. Right. We had drifted, and um, and I had in the meantime right. sort of connected with him. Right, he was a bit probably not as active a mentor, or I wasn't as yeah. active a. Um, what what is mentor apprentice as you probably were right but we were very close and he meant a lot to me so and yeah. that's when he passed away right but we hadn't met yet right we hadn't met so I attend his memorial memorial and and uh, it's beautiful it's a lot of people it's also it was huge it's yeah. huge right and at one point something is really incredible and it, he he got a standing ovation. And it was like, went on for what felt like minutes. Mm-hmm. And everybody started really cheering. And it was like, Vic isn't even in the building. But, but you know, 
the effect that he left on people was that that made people burst out into a standing O. Mm-hmm. You know? And around that time, I think that they were going to, uh, I'd seen an assemblage of musicians sort of uh, starting to come together. And I saw instruments up there and I was like, what's this going to be? And what did they show? Like a slideshow? Yeah. But then they kind of ruined what was next because... <laughs> hey, well, it definitely kind of <laughs> fucked us up. <laughs> so they, they played the actual song, yeah. which is sort of a, a faux pas. If you're going to do a cover version of a song, you don't you, you go way out of your way. Any Anyone who's, who, you know, anyone who's attempting to play a song that's that popular would not want the original played. Right, right, right before. before it. Right. But, you know, I mean, you know, looking, I mean, and in the moment I was like, this is, so I was tasked, I was asked by Vic's wife to get some people together and play that song live at the memorial. Yes. So that's what I was doing there. And and this slideshow happened right as, by way of introducing us and played the song, you know, and she didn't know any better. She wasn't thinking of like that. Of course not, right. <laughs> but it, it, I mean, it all worked out perfectly, but it was in that moment of being there on stage and trying to take all this in and trying not to be, like, too invested in the performance because yeah. that's not, wasn't what was important, yeah. but that's all I've ever done, so it was important. Right. You know, right. sort of conflicting. Yeah, and this group of musicians were all people that, yeah. I mean, Vic worked with a lot of people either in 12-step recovery or outside of that, but mostly in 12-step recovery. And it's just, it's too hard to count how many people. Mm. I imagine it's in the hundreds of sure. direct, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and some of those people were interested in the Buddhist side of things, but mainly they were just going to him for his experience in re- remaining sober. Yeah. Right? So I'm looking over, and, and, and some of these people that he worked with are people who are in big bands and stuff noticeable names recognizable names um and i saw this collection that you were with off to the side as the slideshow's going i watched you walk over and you're it's funny because today you showed up here and i had the same feeling of like looking at you you're a striking person (laughs) and um I ha- I got struck with that again today, just touching right mm. into like, God, no wonder, no wonder I, st- I, I was fascinated with this person because there's something about you that, and I've later called this like uh, future memories where you see something and it feels like it's very familiar or do I know this? I person? think that's called presque vu. Is it? Is I that a real so. thing? Yeah. Oh, okay. So where you see a future that's about I might to be wrong. Somebody will correct us. <laughs> yeah. Presque vu is a thing, and I think it's a sense of the future. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay, cool. So there's a there's a more uh, there's a more uh, snotty version of uh, just saying. Well, there's three of them. Memories. There's deja vu. There's presque vu, and there's another one. Okay, there's great. Some other, anyway, great. Back, yeah, so there's back. a more bourgeois way of saying. Yeah. Okay, great. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so I had that feeling looking at you and I see you walk over to these guys and some of the guys I knew and, and then you guys take the stage and the music has died down and it's the real version of the song. And then you guys attempt to play the song and, and it's a, it's an unintentionally droney version of the song. Was it meant to sound like the song? Well, it was meant to, we, we were doing it, it was sort of slower, but we, we decided we'd do it in a different time signature, uh-huh. and we, which was hard because you're used to it, the 
And after, you know, practicing enough, we got it down to this new time signature, which was sort of slower and, mm -hmm. and more languid. Of course, hearing the original thing, right, knocked all of that out of our heads. Yeah. So we were like, we're two, a couple of us were playing one time, and it just became sort of a drone. Right. It yeah. was a drone, which yeah. is appropriate. Yeah. It's really appropriate for someone who's into Tibetan Buddhism to have a droney version of a song. So yeah. I thought... I think in, he would have loved it. I think so, too. Yeah. And I think... I, I mean, I loved it in the moment. I thought, this is perfect. How did they come up with this? This is mm -hmm. genius. Yeah. You know? And... You know, finding out later from you that that was just you guys were thrown off the horse. Yeah, you know, right. yeah. Um, so the song finishes, and I have you in my mind, and the whole event finishes. And I, I had been somewhat removed from that community. Is it before I go into the next part? You were in Vic's life towards the end of his life, right? But then, was there like a there? You had told me later, like, oh, I was kind of I. Well, I had drifted away because you, you know, and, you know, and part of the story, which it, we're going to get to, is even that day I was in the midst of my use, my addiction. I was strung out. You're strung out, which was on a whole other layer that I was here with all these people and had this secret that was going on. Oh, and, and you were loaded. Were you loaded yeah. at the event? Oh man, yeah, yeah, I, which was horrible. Yeah, I was loaded at Bianca's. Yeah, uh, my aunt's. And that, yeah, that feeling. But that's why I had sort of lost touch with Vic because I didn't, you uh -huh. know, I didn't want to be around anybody right. doing that. You know, it's funny because I saw this. At one point, I saw a picture of his prayer list that he carried mm -hmm. around in his wallet, and I remember seeing your name before I even knew that you're yeah. that's who you were. And I was like, "Who's this Mike One Shot?" Yeah, <laughs> and is One Shot referring to heroin? No, no, no. It was just <laughs> referring to. Uh, like you only I can't got one remember. shot. I mean, it, no, no. It's just w one night we were all hanging out years ago. We were watching that show Jersey Shore, uh -huh. and one of the lunkheads was like got in a fight with somebody and was just yelling "one shot, one shot." And I just reflexively, I was like, "Can you add a nickname to your name on Facebook?" And I just put "one shot," and it stuck. That's where it came. Yeah, from? it's, it's not much Jersey of a story. Shore? Yeah, it's insane. <clears throat> so far from anything that I would ever associate. But it would have been like anything that. If that guy had yelled like tacos, I would have okay. typed in. I was just—I didn't mean to to keep it. Right. I just wanted to see like, did it work? Oh, and then it just stuck. You forgot yeah. to take it off, and then people started. Yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. wow! It's such a great name too, because <laughs> it's it, such a not like epic story. No, it's not. But it, it, <laughs> but the name the 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 reference implies something. Epic, well, which is especially very, with heroin. Yeah, and that at any given point it was half true that there were <laughs> shots involved right yeah. right okay so so you had drifted from him because you were getting loaded and then he passed mm -hmm. but i remember seeing your name on this prayer list that was displayed after he died it was like shown like these are the guys that that vic prayed for daily and kept mm -hmm. with him in his wallet when he traveled to tibet or whatever yeah and i'm going my name's not on there and of course i'm and i see your name i was like who the fuck is this of course there's someone named Mike one shot in this group right. of individuals because it was a lot of artistic types. I mean, just, you know, really, really great bunch of yeah. a collection of, of assholes. You yeah. Know? And, uh, so I go to back to work. I'm working at this center and this is 2015. I'd been there a year Oro house. It's now, well, wait a minute. let me tell yeah. you my, part Oh yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Good. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm, this whole thing happened. I don't really remember what month it was, but yeah. you know, later in the, around Christmas of that year, <clears throat> you know, I'm struggling to trying to get sober again, and I'm working on a job, a commercial, and 
you know, one of the guys that I'm working with was was sober and was also very. In fact, he played in the show, yes. the song, right? And I knew that he, you know, he was part of a tight group of guys that were all sober, and you know, I was just so isolated and alone that I was just like, basically, I want in the group. Yeah, I, I need to get sober, and I need like. I need some men in my life who yeah. can like who are sober. Yeah. Um, and he said, "Cool, yeah, yeah, yeah." You know. Um, he said, "Well, you know, we do this thing. We always have a group text going, and we always sort of, you know, check in with each other. You know, and it's like great." And that I'm like, "Well, great. what kind?" And he goes, "Well, you know, we're just whatever, just joking around. Like usually, like you know, busting on people on Facebook who we think are." you know goofs yeah you know i'm like okay and he was like like and he just opened up the phone like well like this guy and he shows me a video on facebook of you <laughs> doing a song you know it was the intro i didn't even know it was the first person yeah that yeah came up. yeah like this fucking asshole and i'm like looking at it you know and now bear in mind i just went in yeah you know and i'm like Oh yeah, look at this guy. Look, I mean, what what's this about? What this, was I like, doing? Hip, you were just playing a, a song, you know. But you had all the trappings like you have now, uh-huh. like you know, like you you look the part, and you look to me like in the moment. And bear in mind, like I'm in the thing where everything in this world's awful. <laughs> like anything right. that even remotely embraces anything light and warm, mm. I just. I'm just repulsed by because yeah. I'm so not that in the I'm miserable. You yeah. Know? Had you ever been someone that was drawn to the light? I mean, was there ever a, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's my natural thing. And I wasn't even particularly like, it wasn't like I was angry. I didn't feel worthy of it. So I would uh-huh. just be, I would make. And so I, and in order to try to get in with this group, I jumped on it and was like, Oh yeah, this let's let's make fun of this guy. And it uh-huh. was you. Yeah, if they haven't figured that out. <laughs> and you didn't know you didn't know me at all. Not right? at all. Right. Not at all. And now you know that's as far as that went because right. you know obvious maybe not. So if you're having experience getting sober, it's it, there's a good chance that what happened would happen, which is I never hung out with them. Yeah, I kept getting loaded. Yeah. I never got on the group text and, you know, and gotcha. sort of never thought about you again. Right. Other than, you know, but a couple, well, then you can say, no, no, go well, ahead. You know, it's a couple so, months, or a and couple, a couple months later, yeah. everything falls apart. And, you know, f- you know, finally I relent and everybody that's been telling me like, you have to go to rehab. And I'd been so many times before. And I was like, I can't do that again. And I relented and, and went, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I went to the place that a friend of mine had started. I didn't know anything about it, but yeah. and it wasn't like I went free or anything, but I didn't know where to go. Yeah. And so I wound up at... You don't want you, to say the... the person, no, oh, the person. Bob, Bob yeah. Forrest. Right. Yeah. And I mentioned him on like the last yeah. podcast or something like so that. So he said, you know, I called him up, and which I had done many times before, like, and he needed help, and he goes, okay, call. He has like immediate help. Call so-and-so tomorrow morning. Yeah. In fact, text you your insurance card or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and I have no real memory of that. I was told that that's what happened. Yeah. You know, um, uh, I was steadfast on not going. And then I woke up one day and having had made arrangements, which I was grateful for, but I, it was sort of in a blackout, I guess. How many treatment centers do you think you've been to prior I mean, to 15, 13 or 15. How old were you? Do you, do you know when you were, when you checked in there? I mean, I think my first one was probably like at 22. Okay. Or and what age were you when you're coming to, I mean, Alabama? I think I was 50. Right. Maybe I just, 
49 or 50, you okay, know? So gotcha. it, had, you know, it, it has been, you know, it hasn't been a story of, um, normal success. Right. You know, <laughs> right. I mean, it, there's a, there's a weird sort of success in it. You this know? show, but, I mean, is, I'm here. Right. You know, this show is rank with that, you know, so yeah. this is a, this is your yeah. home, your home. Um, but you know, so I, I, they, they come in, they're even, you know, it's a place in Malibu and I hadn't been to a place in Malibu and I can tell right. it's like, it's a fancy place because yep. they're sending some guy to pick me up. And right. I like, when did that never happen before? Yeah. So, you know, I just got really, I knew he was going to be there at eight thirty, So I just got as loaded as I could possibly get. Yeah. Said goodbye to my mom who was over making sure I got there. Yeah. And off we went and we drive up the big driveway. Yeah. And I, there's one person outside this building. Yeah. And it's you. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm just struck. I'm like, oh my God, there's that guy. <laughs> and I think I even said that out loud. And whoever was picking me up was like, oh, that's Jamie. And I'm like, oh, like, what's he, what's he do here? And he goes, he's, he works here. He's like the spiritual director or whatever your title he said. <laughs> I'm like, really? Like, oh shit. I mean, and, you know, I had but so much high. other, yeah, 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 I mean, it wasn't, but I mean, I, I immediately recognized wow. you. I'm like, that's that guy that all I know is that I was supposed to be making fun of. Wow. You know, holy shit. And then you, you basically get out of the car after all of that. We say hi. And I say to you, because I recognize you right away uh, mm. from the group, right. from playing the song. And I said, and we kind of acknowledged our recognition. Yeah. And then. And I said something like, yeah, I, I, I associate you with Vic. And I remember you saying, oh, I associate, I associate you with Vic. But I think you were just maybe talking about, yeah, I, uh, I, no, I don't know. Well, I said I mean, that to you. Right. Okay, so that's how that went. So then you go and you hold I up. go in and I sleep for 80 hours, yeah. which was a miracle, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and I come to, and I think it was a Sunday. I don't, you probably yeah. weren't there that first right. day. But, right. you know, but immediately... I, I was just drawn to you huh. and, and you know, the rest is history. We yeah. connected really deeply really, and I really needed, and I've told so many people this, you know, sort of, you know, I sort of, you know, I have since gotten sober and I've become a therapist and I work in, I've worked in, you know, multiple treatment centers and I just do what you did. You mm. like you taught me, I just model you because mm. I thought, the way you did your job there, first of all, it didn't seem like a job. It seemed like you were just hanging hanging around. Yeah, yeah. To your credit. I mean, it really felt that way. Right. And Well, you know, I mean, and, and since people who listen to the show know Lacey really well, I mean, imagine these circumstances where Lacey and I aren't together. We're uh, friends, and it's sort of a new friendship. And Lacey's the primary therapist of this place, and I'm the spiritual director. And we had maybe done some sweat lodges together. Uh, I used to take the clients up to this sweat lodge ceremony once a week. <clears throat> and Lacey's assigned Mike, and it's in a um, staff meeting. And I'm kind of like, I don't know much about you, but I think you look a little too hardcore for Lacey. No. <laughs> so I'm like... Oh, this is interesting. Yeah, I and this. I kind of try and deter her. I was like... I don't know. You know, I was thinking about the group of guys that you were a part of, and I had had, I'd always felt sort of on the outside of that. Mm -hmm. And quietly, some of those guys would go like, hey, uh, you know, they'd, they'd 
they'd ask me to produce their music or something, but it would be really quiet, you know, and mm-hmm. I didn't realize why. And was, I guess I was some kind of embarrassment to their, their, their cool or something, you know, or whatever the fuck it is. Right. But so I'm kind of dissuading her from working with you and much to her credit and which remains like I was dead wrong mm-hmm. about that. She works with you. And I think in this, we're both designated to work with you. I'm kind of, yeah. if you want to, mm-hmm. she's your therapist yeah. and that's set. You guys do a session together in that first week. And from what I understand, you asked her about me Yeah, yeah. and like, Hey, what's with this Jamie guy? And she said, Oh, just do it. Mm-hmm. Just, you should set up a thing. And, and so we did. And then yes, over the time, very, very early on, like in, within that month, we're getting closer yeah. We were having a lot to talk about because we had Vic who had just passed in common and, and and a whole, it was basically like a family that you and I both were a part of and knew all the characters of in hundreds But of had people. no idea that we were in the same together. Right. And yeah. we were discovering all that in right. this time. And yes, my job was sort of a professional hanging out. Well, I, well let me finish my thought <laughs> yeah. before, because to your credit, you know, that I, yeah, when I started finally working in treatment as, you know, my practicum for school and, mm-hmm. you know, um, all I knew how to do was what you did, which was, and the way I would describe it is like, all I know is that when people come into a place like this, mm-hmm. it's generally the worst day of their life. And they, if there's one thing they don't, they have no friends or, mm-hmm. or at least they believe they have no friends mm-hmm. and they need a fucking friend, you know? And, yeah. and that was something that, just doesn't it's not part of the system in most treatment centers yeah it's not like they're bad but it's just not set up that way it's a hierarchy it's right. like we're, we're here. over here you're there right and yeah. um yeah. and you know and there's good reasons for that but yeah. the fact that you were sort of just so not a part of that the clinical staff seemingly but yeah. that you were really important and that you were basically like if you need a friend i'm here i'm not gonna force it on you and that that just changed everything mm. it was so and i'm and i wasn't the only one i mean mm. you you were incredibly sort of well received by everybody there mm. you know because of the way you did it mm. you know just like i you know, i'm not a therapist i'm just here i just want to <laughs> help you in some way right you know right. like ease this transition yeah you know yeah so in yeah. that first month, you and I would see each other weekly, and we would try and find ways of hanging out even extra. Mm-hmm. And then about a month in, you come clean to yeah. me because we're getting close. Yeah, I was kind of worried, too, yeah. how you'd react. <laughs> yeah, and you even said something like, uh, I was saving. I, you opened it by saying, listen, I'm about to tell you something. But And I remember where we were. We were sitting on the yep. grass on that slope mm-hmm. outside. And uh, and you're like, listen, I'm going to tell you something. But And I was going to wait until my graduation and I don't know if that's because it's like it bought you more time or just the coverage of like mm-hmm. being in a group that way so you can hide and or whatever it is. Yeah. But but you're like, uh, I was you told me this the text thread story mm-hmm. and that there had been this whole relationship you'd have with me prior, which is a small relationship, but a very specific one. Yeah. And you let me know that. And what you told me was that, you know, I you said something about having shunned people like me for so long. And that you were becoming one of those people now, mm-hmm. you know, the people that you made fun of yeah. and you're, you're, you, it's like having a, an excuse to be you mm-hmm. for the first time, you know, having permission yeah. 
you know? Yeah. And you were having this permission and, and included getting involved with crystals. We went crystal shopping mm-hmm. and all these things that had been so right. uh Yeah, I mean, I had become such a, you know, so very cynical and so like just i you know like it i mean I'm a, i was a garden variety know-it-all <laughs> arrogant know-it-all who you know was also sort of holding this thing inside which was well the only the, the happiest i've ever been in my life was when i was like in high school in the beginning of college when i was like a deadhead like mm-hmm. you know in like early 80s and following them around and like part of that community mm-hmm. which by that time by the time i meet you like you that's social suicide to even like <laughs> acknowledge that you the know? groups. Yeah. The, the well, kind the, of circles I, you were hanging yeah. out. Yeah. But you know, um, you know, so that was one of the reasons I think I pushed, I was so re- repelled by anything hippie or yeah. just soft. Right. You know? Right. Um, yeah. And I wasn't even, what was funny is, is, uh, like the hippie part, I never really associated myself with hippies either, but I guess it just, when you're barefoot, it's like calling Rick Rubin a hippie or something. I don't think that that would be a fitting thing. Well, I mean, I think, you know, for me, what it, it, because of my, what I considered it to be, which I think is, you know, it was just people who, the thing that was so powerful back then for me was the sense that I could just be me mm-hmm. and everybody was just being them. Now, of course there was, you know, what there was, a quasi-uniform because we were following a band. Right. A band has iconic iconography. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, it was it was a fairly free-form thing. So mm-hmm. that's what I meant by hippie. Yeah. In my right. mind, right. you know, like right. it wasn't so much the crystals or, you know, anything beyond that. It was just sort of like, wow, this guy is just authentic. And this is a not so subtle form of aggression toward yourself because you well, were a so. That's and the, then you had you had yeah it had been uncool to be one, and it's easily it's made fun of in the culture and on and I've always Park sort of felt and, like yeah. like what I what did I give it up for? I gave it up for like you know punk rock, which led to I mean it, look it was I it it was it was bound to happen. It happened, but yeah. like I always felt like boy, if I could go back, I would not have turned you know. I, left that scene for this other scene which you know as it turned out like the punk rock scene was is you know i've been in a lot of sort of subcultures yeah. nothing is as lockstep conformist as th- that you know yeah. like punk rock in the early 80s That's i mean it was so just funny oh my god because you it's know? it, it you know, they, the opposite it absolutely does but it you know it's like there's so many rules you can't wear this you gotta wear this you Holy can't do shit. that you can't i mean to the extent i remember like being in college and like like literally one night, like having this thought, I want to, and I think I even said it out loud, like, fuck them. I'm going to listen to Led Zeppelin, <laughs> you know, and it was yeah. just this, mad, like, I broke through. I finally, like, broke the shackles and broke the rules of being a punk yeah. and dared to listen. to. And I was alone. And I still felt like I was like, that's silly. That's yeah. fucking crazy that I'm not supposed to like Led Zeppelin. Right. You know? Yeah. Let alone the dead. Right. Right. You know? Right. Um, so you're working simultaneously with Lacey and I weekly, and her and I have you in common now among, like, uh, you know, I mean, there's maybe you were one of the only clients that I was working with and she was working mm-hmm. with. And you were having a very similar experience working with Lacey. And what was yeah. it about Lacey? And her work with you, that is, would be her signature, do you feel? 
Well, I think it, and, and again, it's sort of how I do therapy now, which was mm. sort of how I learned it from her, which was that um, it, was, it was just talking to her. Mm. It was just the power of like, like I really felt like, I mean, it sort of, it, it seems a little cliche to say this, but it was, it was true. I really felt like she was listening to me. Yeah. But she wasn't doing, you know, in the therapy world, you hear holding space. Right. Which I detest. Yes, I'm sure I you do. I loathe it. <laughs> you know, like, I'm not here to hold space. I want to connect with you. I want to get yeah, to know you. I lovely. want to, like, I'm in this with you. I'm not, I don't, not all, the, I mean, there's so many fucking rules with being a therapist, right, you know. Right, And she, and I didn't even know these rules yet, but yeah. I knew, I could sense she's not following any right. of them, <laughs> yeah. you know. yeah. I mean, she was clearly ethical and right. all that, but like, right. you know, and that really appealed to me because I, again, like I needed to connect with somebody. Right. And right. it was really easy to do that with her because yeah. I felt like she, and I was right. Like I felt like she actually cared about me and was interested in me. And it yeah. wasn't just 50 minutes of, of script. Right. You know, and yeah, it, it was true. Well, and did you have the inklings then that this was something that you wanted to move towards and become? Like, did you? I mean, I'd always sort of thought about it because I'd always been that guy in the group that everybody would reach out to and sort of talk. You know, I, I was that guy in all my groups. And I thought that, I mean, yeah, I I mean, but it had been years since I thought that was a possibility. You know, I was definitely at that point like, well past the age of thinking I'm too old to do anything different. And yeah. I was like stuck. I was working in film work and I, I loathed it. And, and you worked yeah. with it, now an earlier synchronicity that we figured out deep into this was that you had worked with my aunt who died. Yeah. Uh, Bianca Halstead, who was in this band and w- was killed by a drunk driver or died in a accident where the drunk driver lived and, and she was out touring with her band. And prior to that, she was working with you, mm-hmm. um, in the art department. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I always worked in, and she was in there too. And you know, there was, you know, you, people kind of come and go, you work with different crews, but yeah. there was a while I worked with her a fair amount, which is insane. Yeah, yeah. I mean that we would have that also. And there were other things too. There was yeah. like, there were other connections sort of as we went along, yeah. you know? Um, but to answer your question, it wasn't until, you know, so I, I went through that, I stayed there for 30 days and I went out and we kept working together. Right. And then I, you know, I got loaded again. Yeah. And I, you said, why don't you just come back? And I was, you know, like, I just trusted you. It was Mm -hmm. the last thing in the world I want to do, but I went back. Mm -hmm. Um, And you were nursing a broken heart. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, it was a, it was definitely a, a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. And, and. Quite. Oh, I was like, I, that, I mean, honestly, that's as close as I've ever come to just pulling the plug. Like, right. There's I, a, I, I hate my job. I got a DUI. Like I can't even do my job now. Yeah. I've lost like the love of my life, you know, like there's nothing left. There's no point to this. Right. Um, and what was yeah. it? Do you feel like that made a difference coming back that time? That is still, that's like the, the entryway into you, you I, I, it was, it, and it's sort of as, you know, I, you know, all the, all the biggest, most beautiful things in life by definition are cliched <laughs> because they keep coming up. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, they're not, there's a reason why things are cliches and stereotypes right. because they're true. And they lot happen a lot. Yeah. So, you know, ultimately it got, I, I, at some point, probably from talking to you and, 
Carson and yeah. Lacey and Chris. They right. were the four, you know, that the message sort of started forming, sort of coalescing, is that I, I had to, like, blow up everything in order to try to have a new life. Right. And that ultimately this was, like, the best thing that I might have ever happened to me. It was a survivable. And it really felt that way. Yeah. Like I mean, a survivable sort of, death. It flipped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It really did. And I remember like even, you know, and I was, by that point, I was doing whatever anybody said. I remember Carson once said, you know, like, what I want you to do is when you get after the group, go back to your house mm-hmm. and I'm going to give you these two crystals mm-hmm. and I want you to just lay on the ground face down and just in the grass gotta be in the grass <laughs> and just feel the earth and connect you know the, wow. that whole thing and I, it's pretty good and course. i just did it and i just you know and i remember thinking like oh well you know talk about cliches but i really had this image of like i just completely blew up my world mm. but only to let this really bright light out wow like the crust fell away right and i just you know and then you guys start saying you should become a therapist yeah and i was like yeah i'm too old for i can't do that i'm like and i remember chris saying well the time is going to pass anyway right. you might as well get a degree out of it right and That's like true. within a month i was in classes yeah. like getting a master's yeah it happened really quickly yeah because i knew if i didn't do it i never would and you were on that track, and then at a certain point, Lacey and I fall in love, and you're just like, this is perfect, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. The two people, and and we're in a relationship, and we start this center in Santa Barbara. You're on the track to being a therapist. You're doing all the things that you need to do. And the dream scenario would have been to have you come and work there, though you lived in L.A., and I, I knew you owned a house there, mm-hmm. two dogs, the whole thing. You're, 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 you're set up. And so the chances of that would be, you know, slim to none. Right. But at the first opportunity that we had something to offer you, we did, and you took us up on it. Mm-hmm. And it was something that was also designed um, by our uh our, you know, the other owner of the place, uh, Courtney, who, uh, Courtney Tracy, by the way, who is, uh, the, at the truth doctor who just won, um, uh, influencer, social media influencer of the year. Wow. Yeah. For her. I know. She yeah, started so this wild. thing. I know. It's yeah. really crazy. I, and I saw the guy from real housewife where Andy Cohen or whatever uh-huh. announced like these awards. Wow. And yeah, she, she started a thing called the truth doctor and she's Something like, Something to shoot for. What's that? Yeah. Something to shoot for. <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, Courtney was the one that was designing this all and she had a love for you too. And she worked at the center with yeah. us before the one that we all owned together. And I so, mean, and what you guys offered me, you any a person would be a damn fool to say no to this because it just doesn't <laughs> exist in nature. Like the fact that we will pay you to work here. Yeah. Well, meanwhile, I hadn't graduated yet. Right. People, in you know, I was in my practicum. You yeah. Would, you don't get paid for that. Right. You pay me. Most and don't. You're right. We'll put you up. Yeah. You, we'll we got put your you in hotel, hotel once a week. I mean, right? that it was incredible. Yeah. I mean, it was so incredibly generous that I was like. I, I, I wanted to do it anyway, right. but like I, there was a definitely an aspect of like, I just can't say no to this. Yeah. I hope it works out because I can't say no to it. It's too good an offer. And you like a kind offer. Up. Right. Yeah. And then you started coming up and you became really quickly somebody that was, 
much like kind of who I had been at the prior centers, you became, you really yeah. did become that. And there was this draw to you and you started a, a family group, which was sorely needed after hours mm-hmm. at our center and that you ran and you would work with the families of uh, a lot of the people who were in the center. Yeah. And it just, it really took off. And there was this, uh, people were craving sitting with you, you know, and it was cool to watch that there's something to this really being yourself and not playing the games within, you know, conventional treatment and conventional therapy and Mm. you being yourself, giving other people permission to be themselves, you know, and it was like a dream come true working there alongside you. It really was that period when it was like really happening there was, I mean, it was amazing. Yeah. Like up until really COVID. Right. You know, Right. Probably sort of changed be- for you before that. But as far as me being, you know, that's that totally. was really sort of because that's when you left. Yeah. Shortly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was great. And, and you know, like I truly I mean, even at that point, I was just like, well, this is how Jamie did it. So mm. this is how I'm going to do it. You know, thanks, man. Yeah. I mean, it's, it really it's is just, true. And it was good. very conscious. I would think that a lot. Like mm. I remember when I was at the first place at Refuge, you know, like. Somebody asked me, like, I don't know how, because I don't think they knew you, but I just said, look, I I, only, I know how to do this because this guy, Jamie, who was at the place I went to when I needed somebody, and that's, I'm just going to do what he did, mm. you know, mm. and see if it worked, and it mm. did, because I was that guy there, too, you know. There really is something to it, and it's sort of like, uh, it reminds me of the movie Office Space. Have you seen that film? Sure. Yeah. Where well, it's, it's like, exactly that. That's <laughs> right? a really good. Ex- I never would have thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like after he gets put in the trance and doesn't yeah. come out of the trance and then goes back to work and he's just like, no, I'm not doing that. Or like, yeah. you and know, coming like, to work the way that he wants to dress. Or like and, being there. It's aspects of that too. Right. But you exactly. know, and, but it would be, right. you know, like I would, I was the therapist that would go outside with the clients and smoke with them. Uh-huh. And it drove yeah. up some of the people there nuts. They right. would, you know, be in clinical meeting and like, <laughs> he can't do that. He right. can't smoke with the clients. Yeah. And I was thinking like, I get more out of them in those moments right. than you're getting in. I mean, talk about relating. And I it mean, wasn't like a strategy. Yeah. Right. It was like just natural. Why wouldn't I? They're, they're people. Yeah. I'm a person. Why are we pretending we like this smoke. doesn't exist? Yeah. yeah. Right. There's no, there's no, we're, no one's gaining anything from this fake wall that right. you want to maintain yeah. just because that's the way it's always been. Yeah. You know, what did you throughout the course of this? And by the way, the refuge you're talking about is a place called Refuge Recovery, mm-hmm. which is that a, a place anymore? Does that exist? It, no, I mean, no, it's, it's still a, a they, they still have meetings. They have meetings. It's a Buddhist based recovery. Yeah, yeah, I think it was the first Buddhist based mm-hmm. recovery place in the country. And then our place kind of opened up and, and ours wasn't uh, didn't have the Buddhist emphasis other than me. Right. Um, so then I left and. What was it like? I mean, what was it like for you the rest of the time that you worked there? I mean, you well, you guys were sorely missed, but it was everything had got turned upside down because of COVID. You know, we started doing it from Zoom, and I stopped right. going up there. Right. You know, um, you know, it and slowly people. You know, before long, I became the longest tenured person there, which was <laughs> yeah. a weird thing. And but you know, like, look, everything. I think especially sort of treatment centers, they, you know, they, 
there's like a three or four year window that a certain version of it exists. Then it turns into something else. I mean, the place has since been sold to some corporate right. thing now, which right. I'm, I'm, I, I have no, I'm sure probably it, there's no reason why it's not doing good work, but yeah. it's certainly a different vibe. Right. And that was, you know, and I sort of stayed till the end of that. Yeah. And, uh, um, it's really crazy to, and by the way, looking back and I have, I have seen, uh, what the place has become or like, you know, um, I see these titles on things or like, uh, another center owning this and, and it being this kind of treatment. And it's like this idea that we had of creating an unlearning center, mm-hmm. you know, is now yeah. like being marketed by a bigger corporation thing and yeah. taken over it. But it, what it says to me also is that these ideas that show up that are natural ideas mm-hmm. of sort of removing yourself from your egoic identities, these thoughts that flow in every once in a while, these inspirations, you know, can do really well in the world if they're given space to yeah. grow, you know, and much like we have. And know? it just occurred to me, I mean, there's, a, again, there's a reason why certain ideas keep bouncing around people because right. they, you know, they have momentum. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it takes a certain, you know, sort of confluence of the right people at the right time to sort of, to take that, these ideas, yeah. you know, cause I was saying, I don't know if it was on here, I don't know if we were recording, but before we started the idea that, you know, um, as Jung said, like we, we don't, people don't have ideas, ideas have people, I mean, yeah. that we, it, we, it's incredibly rare to have an original thought, right. which is fine, right? you know, and this thought's circulate in like memes and viruses and yeah um at least that's what he believed how things happen and i tend to agree yeah um how do you so you don't do meditation necessarily you don't have a sitting practice even though you have done it and sprinkles and all that i mean it's, it's the one of my biggest sort of like how I don't know what it's become to me, but it's become the thing that the, that I most want to do, and I struggle the most to make it regular. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know it was still there was an emphasis on doing it. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean I've I, I've long since got to the point of like God, there's so there's so much here clearly for me. Yeah. But you know, it's it's like that feeling of like I know I got to go to the gym, but yeah. like tenfold. Right. You know. Well, and so and you're I, in I'd this like peri- to- you're in this period of sobriety now that is probably the longest stretch would you say yeah yeah right so how do you maintain this thing see i i can just say oh i meditate every day and that's like the place where i pretend i i spend time not being me and taking a look at that and carrying that out trying to at least in the rest of my day what is it that you cultivate daily to maintain what you found in 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 well i think for the it, you know the the short like um you know very condensed version is and at least it start like i guess i kind of at some point had this idea like until i have a life worth protecting i'm just not going to protect my life hmm. and and that you know and that goes back to that idea of like everything had to be everything had to be destroyed right. and i had to be forced to create a new life that was worth protecting yeah and you know, and and it involved a lot of people because you know I, I I'm definitely an extrovert, mm-hmm. but I love to be alone. Mm. You know, to the point that it's almost because I'm an extrovert, it, it becomes painful at times. But my natural thing is to isolate. You gotcha. Know? Um, but 
and then you know covid really sort of really magnified that yeah. and that was a struggle but, but through it all i you know i just started you know becoming a therapist doing finally doing something that i felt like was somewhat altruistic i mean yeah. working on television commercials for 30 years is about the, the very bottom rung of <laughs> like meaningfulness yeah you know or at yeah. least uh, for me, it was, you know. Right. And I, I'm very grateful for that, those 30 years. And I met a lot of great people. I'm not like, but it had run its course. Yeah. And it had been, for years, it, you know, for the last few, I was like, I, I just it was, I just had to keep, I didn't have to, but I kept getting high just yeah. to sort of do it. And um, Well, I guess like, so now, now do you, ha now you have a life that's worth protecting. Yeah. Is that I, fair I, to say? I started doing, th I started actually getting up and, and doing things that I was, that I've always been interested in and never tried like making stuff. Like I, that's a big part of my life now is creation. Yeah. You know, I, I slowly over time sort of built a shop in my garage and yeah. I, I make things like I'm about to, you know, like set up a blacksmithing forge and amazing and, or guitar. Amp. I mean, whatever. I yeah. Just, no, like, no, not whatever. And I've thought you a lot about amps. wanting that to, yeah. um, uh, that's what you know I, I always think like this i would like to do therapy like this where the clients come in and they work on something yeah while we talk i think there's a lot people tend to be more open when they're focused on something external to themselves right or at least i'd like to play around with that absolutely you know? man that's um, great it seems like when and i'll uh echo that by saying that when we when we engage in things like that, it's like a reflection of us mm -hmm. coming back that we can see. And it's sure. out of the mess of the soup of our But minds. like, I think it's exactly that. And yeah. I mean, ultimately this is like art therapy, you right. know? but the right. idea that, you know, if I ask a client to sort of express their pain, yeah. it's very almost, in, you know, especially like in a group setting, yeah. they're very unlikely to be that open and vulnerable about it because they don't want to feel judged, yeah. you know? Yeah. But if they can draw a picture of it, and this is just a very, you know, like um, simplistic version, but if they can draw a picture of it, they're more likely to think that they aren't being judged, the picture's being judged. Oh, and wow. it allows them, that one degree of separation, I think, allows people to sort of be more vulnerable and open about their feelings because they, yeah. they feel like it's not me this person's reacting to. It's this thing, even though that thing is them. Yeah. You know? So how do you, so, and then what I wanted to ask you about also is that you've become involved in EMDR. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people that I think have heard of this. How would you describe it? And what's some of the process and, and why is it so fascinating to you? Um, and I, and I, I want to get this right because my mentor, who's now my best friend, Dan, mm -hmm. you know, it's, I, he's, he's the, the master of EMDR. He's the guy truly. for this question, maybe. Yeah. But, but, I, but, but no, I'll answer because yeah. I, you know, but yeah. I want to do him proud. Um, right. <laughs> I always sort of tell my, my clients that, you know, ultimately the goal for me of EMDR is to make trauma anecdotal. You know, like I, to me, when I think of trauma, I think of, you know, 99% of the, our entire life, we experience things, they come in, they, they pass the test of the amygdala, you know, they don't send us into fight, flight, or freeze. Yeah. They go to the front, frontal cortex and they become memories right. and they become anecdotes. Mm -hmm. And trauma are the things that don't quite 
get there. Yeah. And they sort of keep banging around the amygdala. And Very deep in the cut. Yeah. You know, like unaware that trauma is actually behind most of... And so EMDR is this very... It's a very procedural uh-huh. um, method of therapy where basically, you know, it, to be really... Basically, uh, the client is put back in that moment mm. and through what we call bilateral stimulation, which is, you know, something that's sort of making the brain oscillate really fast mm. either like by tones in the ear going back and forth yeah. vibrators in the hand uh-huh. the classic thing was the therapist moving their finger in front of their eyes yeah and they have to train on it yeah they found that that sort of movement and sort of stimulates the brain and allows these memories over time yeah. you know maybe you know it could be one it could be multiple sessions but to reprocess and go back there bring up this memory and just just stay with it until it becomes and you'll often hear people say like i totally i'm thinking of the thing mm-hmm. and i'm not forgetting any of it but i just don't feel any real i don't feel that emotional pain connection to it yeah amazing you know and it really is like it and it in this day and age i mean it's you know it's it if it's not the number one, it's certainly one of the number two sort of everybody agrees that this is the sort of gold standard of trauma treatment along with a couple other ones. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, one of the things that's so powerful about it is that crystals, crystals. Yeah. <laughs> it happens fast, uh-huh. you know, and it doesn't, you know, it's, it's used a lot, for instance, in war zones or, or, mm. uh, you know, places where there's natural disasters. Teams will go in and they will, they don't necessarily even have to speak the same language. They yeah. just sort of have to set this up. There, there's a setup involved in it and very quickly help these people reprocess this trauma. Yeah. Um, and what would normally might take, you know, years of therapy, this can happen really quickly, mm-hmm. you know, when it happens. Right. Talk about uh, what's what do you find fascinating about psychedelics reemerging and what's just talk about that and and then I'm going to ask you something else uh, one of your anecdotes in a minute. All right. Well, I mean, I you know that was always when I was a kid or you know obviously my entry into all that my personal entree was being a deadhead. Yeah. You know, like right. if you were deadhead in the late seventies early eighties, it was it was LSD was a huge part of that sacrament. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was just what you did. This is what you did, you know. Um, and you know, and I had a lot of really great experiences with it. And, and did you early on just associate it with getting high along with everything else? I mean, until yeah. are you, is there a nuanced difference now? From oh, that? for sure, right. it's now. But even then, there was a this aspect of a sacrament uh-huh. because it was. I, I honestly, I. Like most all the the times I did it were at shows. It was mm-hmm. part of the ritual. It was right. very ritualistic. I mean, we were for sure like getting high, and it was right. meant to be fun. But you but had it was like still, accoutrement, sure, and, and, and all there that. was some intention yeah. to it. Right. Like, um, and so that has always stuck with the idea of psychedelics for me. And yeah, you know, and then I sort of went, and then my taste went down a decidedly darker, heavier road. And yeah. most, and I there were no thoughts of psychedelics at all for right. a long a who would want to magnify what was going on in the mind of well uh, you i mean know, it's the, just like i i don't who has time for this i gotta shoot a speedball <laughs> you know yeah. um it'd be, yeah. it'd be great to have an extra three dollars for lsd but who has it <laughs> oh, yeah. you know um 
Plus, it had seemed like it had just gone away. It was yeah. just gone. And then all of a sudden, you know, like it in the last 10 years, certainly five years, yeah. and certainly it this reemergence of it, I, I think it's, I mean, I'm very heartened by it. First of all, I'm heartened that finally they have this absolute just demonization of this thing. Yeah. That there's no other substance, like even remotely has been sort of demonized Right. From top down, like psychedelics were. And would you say that's like mainly because of the, the they, it leads to freedom from control? Yeah. yeah. The control of the mind. Absol- of the, uh, yeah. And yeah. I think that really scared the hell out of And, yeah. you know, I used to think that was sort of almost a pithy way to say it, verging on conspiracy theory. Right. But right. I really do now sort of think that that really is a huge part of why in the late 60s it was you know it was just clamped free down thinkers on, to the extent that you couldn't even do research on it for right. like 30 years it was career suicide to even consider it yes um and so i'm i'm if nothing else i'm heartened that that has been lifted and people are actually doing things and they're finding out you know there's a real efficacy to some of these things yeah. you know i don't know if, if you talk about this or if your no certainly. listeners know about it but you know like with the map thing yeah you know um the use of psilocybin and mdma for trauma yeah you know i, I will say that i went there sort of the in if you're a therapist and you, you you've gone to school and you have any interest in trauma the sort of the guy at the top of the mountain is um, Bessel van der Kolk, mm. who wrote the book "The Body Keeps the Score," it's oh, yeah. sort of the yeah, Bible yeah, yeah. of right. trauma. Yeah. Um, and I was lucky enough to see him. He did a two-day uh, seminar oh, in Pasadena. Yeah, yeah, and and you know he <laughs> he. I mean, it would talk about validation at some point. Somebody because he said, "Well, I'm not really going to talk about techniques here. I want to talk about the ideas of trauma. This isn't mm-hmm. about interventions." Mm-hmm. But, you know, it finally somebody, enough people said, well, is there one intervention you would use? And he said, I'm paraphrasing, well, I, I couldn't do what I do without EMDR and psilocybin. Wow. You know. Jesus. Um, or, what a or he didn't say that. It, he said, but that's, those are the two things now that he didn't, he said, that's another quote he said about EMDR. I couldn't do what I do without EMDR. But he said, right now, the things that I'm most interested in seem to be working best are EMDR and uh, MAP, yeah. psilocybin and MDMA. Maps. So, yeah. yeah. Yep. So, okay. So, and I wonder if you could tell the story of uh, the night that you were doing homework. And it was when you were in college, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's a psilocybin yeah, trip? Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, my God, that changed everything. So right. I had, I w- my undergrad was, you know, um, electrical engineering and physics. Mm. You know, I wound up getting two degrees. Mm. And luckily, I got a weird BA in physics, which doesn't really seem to exist in nature. But somehow, it was, I went to school for five years, took a few extra liberal art classes, a few extra physics classes, and they gave me this second degree, mm-hmm. a BA in physics, which decades later allowed me to go get my ma mm-hmm. because you know i wouldn't i don't i mean i needed a ba undergrad yeah and, and i had it weirdly yeah. enough um so you know i was i mean you know i i was my aptitude i will i was always supposed to i was really good at math okay. you know i wanted to go to like art school but mm-hmm. you know my i sort of just followed what everybody said be an engineer you yeah. know and so i i went to school and um, 
you know, the, the story takes place at the time that, like, I really started feeling myself hit the glass ceiling of my aptitude in math, which uh-huh. was a really weird feeling because up till then, math it was limitless. Was, yeah, and, and I started getting these higher-level things, and I was I just I was really struggling with it. And one in particular, statistical analysis, I was just floundering. and was the I was failing the class, and that hadn't happened, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's happening. At the same time, my roommate brought home this record a couple... You know, we were always sort of in competition finding new bands, and he brought home this record by this band called The Birthday Party. Yeah. And Who's I had, in that band? Nick Cave. Nick Cave. Um they're from Australia. They were together like late seventies, early eighties. Nick Cave went on to be Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Right. So he brought him this record, Junkyard, the name of the record. And you know, back then, the first thing you did when you got a record, you, you would record it and put it on a cassette, so you could walk. Or, you know, you'd have the cassette in your car and yeah. the Walkman and all that. Yep. And I knowing that, but I had such a visceral reaction. I, I hated this music <laughs> I, I like i've never hated anything yeah. i hated him for listening to it it, <laughs> it i mean and it's very caustic very yeah. it it really is like nothing i had ever heard before gotcha. and and i was just fucking hated it yeah so one night you know it's like a wednesday night and you know the i just got i knew i had a bunch of statistical analysis to homework to try to do and not understand and I thought, well, I'm just going to eat a bunch of mushrooms. Mm-hmm. So I ate a bunch of mushrooms. I don't know how many, but a, quite a, a, a large amount. And for whatever reason, I was sort of fascinated by that record. And I snuck, I went into his room. No one was home. And, and I took the cassette. Mm-hmm. And I sat down on my bed, you know, with the doing my homework. I remember, like, my back against the wall, sitting crossways on the bed, mm-hmm. legs hanging over. This book here. And with the headphones on, listening to this record. And, you know, the the mushrooms came on, and, it, you know, it hit me like a fucking ton of bricks. Yeah. And the next thing I know was that, like, you know, all the letters were like, I didn't really, I don't really hallucinate on psychedelics so much. But that night I did. All the letters were dancing around, and the numbers were pop, pop, off the page. Crazy. Anyway, the long and the story, sort of, since that night, yeah. I got A's in that class, I it just clicked. It Everything raised the ceiling, sense. the glass ceiling. Absolutely, on your, you know. Your and the birthday party are to this moment in time the only. I mean, they're the only band that ever really mattered. They're <sighs> my absolute favorite band. And Nick Cave is, you know, it, it just that never went away. And yeah, and you're like devout. I mean, yeah, like to yeah. Nick Cave. I mean, it's beyond like just liking a band now. I mean, yeah. it's like he's no, your I've guy. Been, he's been a huge part of my life, my since I was in college. And you've had interactions with mm-hmm. him, like at he did a spoken word type thing, or what was it like at Q and A? Yeah, or? he did a tour a couple of years ago. It was just taking questions from the audience and playing piano songs. I mean, it was incredibly intimate yeah. for somebody to do that. It's yeah. like brilliant. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, basically I, psilocybin can change your music taste. Psychedelics yeah, have the ability to, and your ceiling on what you can learn with math is now. And I mean, I really remember feeling that like, like that feeling of like, Oh, mm-hmm. I get it. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. You know, I had this record by William Burroughs and Kurt Cobain, mm-hmm. and it's basically Kurt just making a bunch of noise while William Burroughs reads a poem that right. he wrote, right? And I had it on vinyl, and I got it mainly just because of the Kurt Cobain aspect, but I didn't understand uh, experimental 
uh, music yet, right. very much. And I was, I wanted to. And this reminds me of the first time doing heroin. I put it on and I, it all made sense, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And the Velvet Underground, like I liked their music. I yeah. loved them, but like the whole next level of understanding them jumped in and it was kind of like this experience. And MDMA changed me from being somebody who hated fucking electronic mm-hmm. music and all of a sudden like I'm somebody who can appreciate it and even end up making it. And I'm thinking like, you know, if you think about it, like why wouldn't it? Yeah. Why wouldn't certain states yeah. brought on by certain chemicals be more conducive to certain frequencies and patterns yeah. of music? Like especially it, psychedelics because they yeah. the default mode network gets disrupted and like yeah. and all of where your your ego, the address of the ego or whatever is being removed so it's music is just it's vibratory almost, right. you know. But there's and there's so many other examples that we never question like is it a you know like we tend to like cold drinks in the heat of the summer yeah right we tend to like hot foods in the winter right, like you right. know that's not like weird people. yeah right you know. right i want to talk about your album which you had made just prior to coming to treatment mm-hmm. when we met and it was a record that you invested in you put together and it's a really great record and it's called saviors and you can look it up um on and wherever you get music, Mike mm. Coulter, C-O-U-L-T-E-R. And uh, Saviors is the record. And and he had just made this album, and you were playing songs for us while we were doing this work together. Mm-hmm. And I want to play a song to take us out. Oh, wow. Um, I want to play the Thank title you. track, Saviors. Okay. And um, I just want to say, like, uh, where else can people find you? I mean, Mike's going to be a more regular guest on Love is the Author. He's uh, about to drive up from LA to Ohio um, more regularly and we're welcoming him with open arms and we're going to get an, uh, another microphone. So, so Lacey, yeah. he and I can, can share the oh. space, can share the space. <laughs> well, that answer your question where they can find me will yeah. be answered the next time I'm here because I really trying to throw all that together. Oh, beautiful. I just okay. honestly haven't put any effort into sort of getting out there yeah and i i want to now Beautiful. things have changed in my life and i'm feeling really good and i want to i want to connect with more people yeah so perfect yeah thank so you thank for being you. here absolutely i, I mean, love you so much i love you too yeah and and here's uh saviors the song from mike's record saviors Dogs we love will all one day fade away. And there's not a bullet anywhere that'll hit us square in the face so sharp. Talk them back into 
Talk them back into the room, but 